Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Morning. This morning's Focus Scripture is in Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, And the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. We're so thankful that the Lord is there in all those times, even when everything is its hardest. Off to the races. Here we go. It's always a good thing hearing all those little feet. Actually, that's one of the things. uh, The one who's just leaving the sanctuary now, we used to call her fast feet. We have hardwood floors at our house, and every time she'd run somewhere, it would be just all over the house. It was great. Um, So... This morning, we are going to focus on some of the aspects of God himself that we can be thankful for. And I didn't turn on my clicker. It has been a morning this morning. I overslept, and then I didn't have any breakfast cereal, so I had to make French toast, which was the plan from the beginning, but not oversleeping. So I had to, like, actually make breakfast, make breakfast, while I was running late, almost forgot my coffee. It was... And then when we got here, the computer wasn't working right. It wasn't projecting onto this screen. It was projecting up there, which would have been hard for everybody to figure out what was going on. So it's just been a morning. But the Lord is good. Yeah, and all the time. Amen. All right, so digging back into the focus passage, it says, though the fig tree does not bud... And there are no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. If you think about that, they were talking about how they didn't have food. The the fields weren't producing. The olive tree wasn't bearing anything, which is how they made the oil for their lamps, so they didn't have any food, they didn't have any lights, and then they didn't have any livestock, which would have been used for food and for sacrifices. So they couldn't even make sacrifices to the Lord, yet they were still thankful. And that's a hard place to be. I mean, they didn't have anything, but he was thankful. So why are we thankful for God? And this is, these are not just rhetorical questions. If somebody wants to raise their hand or just shout it out, why are we thankful for God? Mm. He's steadfast when we even can't see it. His unconditional love. Merciful. That's a good one. Faithful. Yes. The creator, he's always with us. Eternal life. That's true. We can trust in him for that and be thankful for it. So why do we trust him when things are hard? He sees what we don't. Very true. He's proven he's trustworthy. He's in control. 
He gives us strength. So how can we trust him? How do we know that? His word, very true. His proofs. Yes, I've seen it in my life in some of the big things and some of the small things. So this one, I'd love to have a couple of answers for you, but this is what we're really going to delve into today. What are some of the character traits of God that we can really be thankful for, that we can really lean into? His mercy. His sovereignty. The fact that he's able, no matter what. He doesn't change. He's great. His grace. Ah, yes. Very true. Mm, very true. The three that I was thinking of, oh, I was playing with it and turned it off. The three that came to my mind uh, is that he is creator, he's king, and he's redeemer. And I have a few different Bible passages to focus on for each and every one of these three points. But I feel like these three things are keys for understanding how we can connect to and be thankful for God and understand who he is and how he acts in our lives. So the first one is creator. He was creator from the beginning. Uh, In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I've heard it said that that particular word for hovering is in a very nurturing fashion, sort of how a mother hen hovers over her chicks. Actually, my mom today, it was kind of funny, uh, I was up in the pew and she pointed out that my hair's all messed up and that if she had hairspray, she'd fix it, and that my uh, shirt was tucked in at an angle and that I needed to fix that. It's just further proof of how my morning's been going. But so are you using that as a description of the word hovering? A little bit, a little bit. And she's laughing, so I think it's okay. Oh, for now. <laughs> well, she might be laughing again later, but hopefully, you know, not. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, in Psalm 139, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The Lord has always been creator, He's always creating. I know that it says on the seventh day he rested, but I think he got right back to work on the eighth. And I I feel like we can see that all around us. I won't mention the S word that's on the ground. But knowing how those frozen water crystals form in the air in intricate patterns, and each and every one is unique from another, is still rather fascinating to think about. It kind of blows my mind. I mean, yes, I understand that it's crystal formation and that that happens naturally with other different elements, you know, in the ground and in caves. But the fact that those patterns are each unique and there are billions of them that fall to the ground, especially around here, I just think that that's crazy. All the leaves having slightly different colors on them. 
I went up to Letchworth a few weeks back with my girlfriend uh, to go and enjoy all of the foliage. And uh, we were talking about it later. And she says, yeah, I think, I think, or at least she likes to think, that God lets all of the famous artists who get into heaven go out and paint the leaves in fall. And I just thought that that was kind of a beautiful way to picture it. But God is creating each and every day new things. And I keep turning off this remote because I'm playing with it. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that was made would have been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. His creation is good, and it is new, and he's not done creating, and he's not done creating inside of us, so long as we cling to him. The next thing that really stuck out to me was king. God is our king. He wants to be our king. In 1 Samuel, it talks about how he wanted to be the king over Israel, but Israel wanted to go and do their own thing, because all of the other countries had like real kings with pointy hats. And they wanted a real king with a pointy hat. And they were like, hey, God, can we have a real king with a crown? And God was like, well, but I'm your king. And they're like, but everybody else has one. Can I have one, please? I was like, fine, you can have one. It's not going to go as well, but you can have one. And so he gave him Saul. But God wanted to be their king. It says, and the Lord told him, uh, which was the prophet at the time, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is, not that they have, it is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. He wants to be our king, but so many times we leave him behind. We don't let him take control of our life because we like control. This morning, I wasn't in control of anything. It was terrible. I, I wasn't in control of breakfast. I almost forgot coffee, which if you know anything about me, forgetting coffee, that's, that's like, what, how, what kind of a day would it have to be for me to forget coffee? <laughs> See? Yeah, so it just, today was, this morning was a morning. <laughs> Kenny's just dreaming about going back home already, I guess. I'm already there. Oh, wow, he's already there. Oh, man. That's okay. But Jesus, even though he didn't impose it on other people, even though he didn't come and overthrow any monarchies, he was king when he was born. And the Magi recognized that. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. How often do we think about going out of our way to worship God, setting him aside as king and respecting him in that role in our lives? When King Herod heard 
this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Herod knew what they meant when they said that there was a new king. He knew that it was the Messiah. And Herod didn't like that. Herod wanted to be king. He didn't want God to be king. The last thing that I thought was really powerful is that God is a redeemer. He takes things that are broken and makes them new. It's kind of tied in with him creating, but there's also a purchasing element. Uh, If you think about coupons, you can redeem them. You have to take them in, bring them in, show them, and you redeem the coupon. Or you can redeem a slave. And I feel like that is often the picture that Paul uses for us. He calls us bondservants of Christ or slaves. But God redeems us. He frees us from slavery to sin and brings us into his fold. And that's a beautiful thing. Looking at Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned and everything which had started out so beautiful and so perfect was broken, God had a backup plan. Genesis 3.14, So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. A little bit later in the chapter, and the Lord God said, man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. God didn't want us living forever, independent under the power of sin. So once we were broken, he kicked us out of the garden so that we wouldn't live forever in sin. He had that redemption plan of Christ crushing the head of the serpent, destroying Satan, and bringing us the opportunity for everlasting life, not apart from him, in sin, but with him. A true eternal life filled with joy. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it talks a little bit about that idea of being bought by the blood of Jesus. Says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Christ's sacrifice is something that steps in, it's something that intervenes, it justifies us. We are made clean. But we have to buy into that. We have to surrender ourselves to the king. Recognize that he created us and wants to redeem us and allow ourselves to go through that. Next couple verses, it says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
God came to us while we were directly opposed to him. And because of that, how great is his mercy? How great is his love? That while we were actively running against him, clashing with him, he died for us to redeem us, to give us that redemption, to bring us back to him so that he could be our king. In John chapter 1, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, it says he saw him coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, lambs weren't always the sacrifice of choice. Ox were bigger, and they were often used for different sin sacrifices. Lambs weren't always as common. But one of the things that lambs were really known for is the Passover. And I think that that's a beautiful picture. Christ was the Lamb of God. He came, he died, and his blood covers our sins, just like they painted the blood over their doorways so that death would pass over. If our lives are redeemed, if our lives are dipped in the blood of Christ, death will pass over us. We will have that opportunity for eternal life. But we have to recognize him as our source of redemption. We have to recognize him as our king. And something that I think is really cool is that all three of these categories, they weren't something that had a start, something that had a start and something that had a stop. This goes on forever. All three of these things will be happening for all eternity. It says in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. God is going to renew all of this. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's not done creating yet. And that will be a place of perfection. And he's going to be king there. The next couple verses, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God is king. Now, whether or not you recognize that in your day-to-day life, that's where the difference lies. He's already king. And when he makes that new heaven and new earth, we'll be able to see him sitting on the throne each and every day for all of eternity. The last thing is Redeemer. In Revelation chapter 3, he's addressing one of the churches, I believe it's Laodicea, And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. The Lord wants us to turn aside our lives to give up what little we have, our brokenness. And he wants to give us gold. 
He wants to give us purity, white clothes. He wants to make sure that we are redeemed and with him. And those three things can happen for all of eternity. But you have to choose to submit to him as your king. Recognize him as your sovereign creator and allow him to redeem you. It takes time. It's not easy. But it's the only way. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your love, for your mercy. We thank you that you have created us and the world around us. We thank you that you are sovereign and ruler over all. God, we recognize that while we have a limited amount of power in our own lives, that ultimately you are the one who's in control of everything. Lord, help us to submit to that. And we thank you so much for your gracious redemption that you offer us. In one sense, to us, it's absolutely free. It doesn't really cost us anything, but we have to set ourselves aside. We have to put you first. And so in other senses, it's priceless. So Lord, we thank you for everything that you bless us with. And we bow down in worship. Amen.